One, two, one, two, what's going on? It's your boy DJ TLM. You're tuned into the Share the Knowledge podcast for DJs. This is my Q&A show for DJs where I try to share my 26 plus years of DJ experience and answer as many questions as possible. Now, today I'm going to answer a couple of questions I received through Instagram and I have an inbox filled with emails. I'm just going to handpick a couple right now while we're recording and answer to those as well. So let me just start with a question from Instagram because I already have it here and then I'll get into my inbox. So I'm planning to ask for a DJ gig in a hip hop nightclub, which is open at the weekends, but also during the week. During the week, there aren't many people visiting and most of the DJs don't play the popular songs, but rather some lo-fi or underground boom bap stuff. So for someone new like me, it's very possible that my first gig will be under the week and I will have to earn a gig on the weekends. But I like playing harder and or more popular songs in my sets. Now to my question, should I play my set with the hard slash popular tracks on the gigs during the week? Or should I look for tracks to play which are not as known and not as energetic to fit the style of the other DJs who are playing under the week? And are there any other tips you can give me to earn the gigs at the weekends? So that's a great question because I know for a lot of beginner DJs, this is a topic that causes confusion. So I understand if those weekday gigs are your step up, your ladder towards doing the gigs in the weekend, you feel you're gonna have to prove yourself during these gigs to earn one of these weekend slots. But the beginning mistake a lot of DJs make is that they feel that you prove yourself by playing all the hits. Now, I know that's not exactly what you're saying. I know that you're saying that you actually feel more comfortable playing the more popular and harder tracks, but you have to look at the situation. So if you already know that normally during the weekdays, they play at a lower level of energy. So I guess during the weekdays, it's more of a, just like a bar type of situation and people are not really coming into that. Now you have to correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know. I'm just going off what you're telling me. It sounds to me like the weekends are really for the parties and during the week, it's gonna be more of a hangout situation. You know the spot and you know that this is how they operate. So to just go in there during one of these weekday gigs and come in with like straight up bangers and all the popular hits, that's not what the crowd is expecting. So that might actually be a disadvantage for you to do that. If you prefer to play tracks like that, you should just contact whoever is gonna book you there or who gave you this chance and I'm not sure. I have to go back to that question for a second because I believe you're actually saying that you're planning to ask for a DJ gig. Okay, so you haven't talked to them yet. Look, if you contact this venue and you ask for the opportunity to come play and they give you one of these weekdays, just ask in advance. Look, I've been to your spot during the weekdays and I noticed that the DJs play with less energy and they don't play the popular tracks. Is this something you prefer or is it all right for me to play some of the more popular, more energetic tracks as well? That's your best option. Don't just go in there and start playing bangers uh, when no other DJ is doing that because there might be a perfectly good reason. 
maybe they're actually being told that this is what's expected during the weekdays. Maybe they don't want that crazy energy. Again, I can't say I don't know the spot. You do. And if you've noticed that this is always going on, then that might very well be the case. So communication is key when it comes to these situations. You want to make sure you have as much information as possible. So especially if you haven't played there before, you want to know exactly what type of equipment they have. You want to know what type of people are coming there. You want to know what type of music they expect you to play because those things are going to help you out. Now, you already know some of these things because you know what they play so i guess you also know what kind of people come in during the weekdays is that a different crowd than the crowd you see on the weekends and if you want to be sure about what music you should or shouldn't play make sure you ask in advance that's going to save you a lot of headaches and that might put you in a better position to prove yourself if they prefer to have more of a laid-back loungy type of vibe during the weekdays then you know if you're coming in during the weekdays you should be setting that same type of vibe and you can prove that you're a good dj if you can actually set the mood you're not a good dj if you come in and only you only know how to play bangers if that's your only go-to uh strategy that's not the sign of a good dj and i've seen that happen so many times you come in even if it's like uh, a weekend but it's like five minutes after the door is open. There's two people in there and the first DJ is up there and he's playing like party breaks and high energy tracks. That makes no sense. That makes no sense at all. That only shows people who actually know a little bit about DJing that the DJ doesn't know what he's doing or what she's doing. And promoters, not always, but promoters can see that as well. So you're better off if you get a warm-up slot or if you get one of those weekday slots to actually do what you're supposed to do when you get that slot. If I get booked to do a warm-up set, I'm playing during those first hours, I'll be playing a warm-up set. I'm not coming in playing bangers that the DJ two or three hours after me is supposed to play. So keep that in mind. Communication is everything. Find that out and you'll be good to go. So before I get into the next question, I want to talk about phase. Now, I've talked about phase before, and I still receive a ton of questions when it comes to phase. That's because I was promised a unit. I still have not received it, and uh, that's like six, eight months ago now. Now, I will still be reviewing phase, and I'm happy to say that I finally had a chance to test it. Now, I still haven't received my unit, so hopefully that will be fixed soon. But if not, I did finally get a chance to play around with it, and I'm still getting that chance now. I have it here for, let's say, a week or two. So I have a chance to mess around with it, and that's a good thing. And I want to return to my original statement when it was first announced, and I said this to me is one of the biggest game changers in DJing that we've seen in a long time. And I understand there's been a lot of issues, especially with the first batch that was released. Um, then with a the firmware update, things were improved. And I believe that the later units are actually better than the first units. That's what a couple of DJs told me. They had one of the first batch. Now they have a newer version and it works better. Uh, other people tell me that after the firmware, they saw improvements. I talked to DJs who still have issues and I've seen DJs who never had issues with it at all. So my first experience started off like this. I connected the unit and I put the devices on my vinyl 
I opened up the little calibration software app on the computer, calibrated it for Serato. That worked perfectly fine. And then when I wanted to play in Serato, uh, Serato was kind of acting up. Now, I talked about this a while ago when it comes to technical difficulties. I knew straight away that I needed to restart my laptop because I had not done that. I'd taken it from home, closed it, brought it to the studio, opened it up. And for whatever reason, my laptop does not like that anymore. And I've been to a couple of gigs where I had that same thing. I just opened the laptop, had not shut it off. So just opened it up, connected everything. And then Serato wouldn't work properly until I just rebooted my laptop and then everything was fine. Now I rebooted the laptop, but after everything restarted, Phase, the calibration app actually told me that there was an error, I guess because I restarted, rebooted the laptop, I don't know. And after that, I could not calibrate the, the units again. So I tried a lot of different things, taking the power off, uh, resetting to factory settings, you name it. Now it had the latest firmware and all that. And this came from a DJ who has it and it works for him. Um, so yeah, I was kind of shocked and I started to think about all sorts of scenarios. It is, is it my laptop? But no, it shouldn't be because the first time I calibrated, it actually worked. Looked at a couple of videos, tried a couple of suggestions, and it took me over an hour before I ran into one video that actually had a simple explanation of something I could do. And that was to do a long press on the A and B and then the units reconnect and that worked. Only thing I wonder is why did I not find that sooner and why does the calibration app not just show you that option? Because the only thing the calibration app showed me time and time again was calibration failed, make sure the units are uh, placed on the vinyl correctly or something like that and make sure that the record players, the turntables are playing at zero, the normal tempo. Nowhere does it say um, do a long press to, to, to reset, reconnect, whatever. Even the tutorial on phase on YouTube didn't talk about anything like that. Yes, the information was out there. I was able to find it. I should have taken more time at first to start looking for that, but I like to figure out things myself. So I just went around and started trying different, uh, different things. Whatever the case may be, what I thought would turn into one of these uh, nightmare scenarios that a lot of DJs were talking about actually was solved after I solved that issue. And after that, I have to say they work uh, exceptionally well. Now, again, just testing in the studio. So this is not like a gig scenario where I took them to a club to play for one, two or three hours. And I definitely need to do that as well because I hear a lot of DJs have issues during their gigs. But just the initial feel and performance I have to just stick to what I said the first time, and that is this is an absolute game changer. I have them on my DJ set here, and those two turntables don't even have needles on the tone arm. Right now, it's just the empty head shell, uh, new head shell on both decks, and I don't have to hook up needles. I could just connect phase, and I was good to go. Yeah, so more testing coming, but man, does it feel good. Does that feel good? The response was great. And just knowing that I don't have to depend on the quality of the turntable, because in clubs, a lot of turntables have been there for quite some time. 
and they're not always in good condition, knowing that that's not going to be an issue anymore. Lovely. So I will be doing more testing and I'll share more of my thoughts uh, soon. And I'll try to shoot a couple performance videos as well. All right, let me just take this time to address it because it's been asked a bunch of times and I've said that I was going to do one a bunch of times, but it is almost that time. So I want to talk about the Saturday Super Sessions. If you're familiar with my Saturday sessions, those are my interactive scratch sessions that you can check out on YouTube where I just throw on a beat. I start scratching over that beat for a couple of bars. After the couple of bars, I stop. The beat continues to play, and that is where you at home can jump in and do the same amount of bars of scratching. Then it's my turn again, I do the next couple of bars, then I stop again, and you do them interactive scratch sessions, Saturday sessions on YouTube. Now, if you're familiar with those, you might also be familiar with my Saturday super sessions, and those are a little bit different because that basically is my giant scratch compilation. Let me rephrase my global scratch compilation video. Now, I want to announce that I'll be releasing, uh, uploading the beat for the next Saturday super session next week. So that's going to be in the first week of November. And once I upload that beat, I'll do the official announcement. Uh, so you're getting the heads up right now, right here on this podcast. And um, what that means is as soon as I release that beat, when I upload it and I do the official announcement, you can download the beat, record yourself at home, scratching over that beat and send me that video. I'm going to gather all of those videos. I'm going to go through those videos, look and see if they meet the rules and guidelines. Now, all of that will be added in the announcement video. And if the videos meet the requirements, then I'll add those videos. I'm going to put them all together, turn it into one giant video where you get a whole bunch of DJs from all over the globe scratching over that same beat. Now, personally, I'm a fan of it, even though it takes a lot of work to get it done. I like doing them. I like seeing the end result. And if this is something that you haven't seen before, go check out the Saturday Super Sessions on my channel right now so you can see what that looks like. And just know that this is not for the pro DJs. Now, the pros can enter, of course, but this is for anyone out there. So that could be including you who masters at least one scratch technique. So if you're all the way new to scratching, you're just in your first practice stages, then I, I suggest you just hold out for now and join in a couple of editions, a couple of uh, uh, months later. But if you can do a baby scratch, and you can do that well, but that's all you can do, that is enough. You can enter by doing a couple of bars of the baby scratch. If it's tight, so if it's done correctly, I'm perfectly fine with that, and you can be in the video. Now, like I said, all the rules and requirements are going to be in that announcement video because you have to make sure that the video and audio is of a certain quality, shot in a certain way. You do not have to have your face on screen. It could also be just your hand, so don't worry about that. Um, if this is something that sounds interesting to you, keep your eyes and ears open. I'll be uploading that in the first week of November, so that's next week. All right, so this is an interesting question, and this is all about playing at clubs that 
don't have a good reputation. Now the question is a short question and the question is, I recently got a resident DJ job in Dubai and the problem is the club doesn't have a crowd and the few that come, they find it empty and leave. How can I, as a DJ, make them stay? So you can't. It is basically as simple as that, you can't. If this is truly a club with hardly any people in there, you can play whatever you want to play. Uh, people are not going to stay. Now, mind you, every now and then you're going to have a couple of people that actually prefer the fact that there's no one there so they can drink till they can't walk anymore and they'll just stay, drink, and uh, you can play whatever you want to play. They were going to stay anyway. But for most people, if they're going out clubbing, they want to have a good time. Even if they're not like the most uh, uh, active people, like they're not really there to dance, they're still there to, to drink, socialize, you name it. When they walk into a venue and it's empty, that's not a comfortable feeling. There's only a couple of people, everyone notices each other. That's not what most people want. They want to either like blend in or just see a lot of people feel a certain vibe. An empty club has none of that. And I've been there, I've been there that I was booked to play at a club. There were like 10 people in there. And every time a new group of people came in, like, hey, like eight people came in. Some people just look at each other right there on the spot and you can see in that look that they're giving each other that look like, are we going to stay or should we just grab our jackets now? Half the time they're going to grab their jackets and leave straight away. The other half of the time they either get like one drink and then leave. And sometimes people are actually like happy that it's empty because they'll have the club to themselves. Now, this is uh, something that happens if the party of people is big enough. So if like 10 or 12 people come in, they might not care as much about the fact that no one's there because they are already in a group. They're going to have a good time anyway. But look, most of the times people will just turn around and walk out. So, yeah. It is something as a DJ, it is just not fun because it doesn't matter what you play, you're not gonna be able to keep them there. Um, that being said, when I first read it, I didn't read that you were actually a resident there. I thought it was more a question of how, uh, what you should do in situations like that if they wanna book you for a place that you know doesn't have a lot of people in there. But um, this is your residency. Now look, uh, if you're in your beginning stages of DJing, it could still be a good thing because even if it's like 10, 20 people, you still get the chance to play in front of those people and gain some experience and hopefully you're getting paid for that as well. Um, if you're already more established, then this could be not only bad for your reputation, but also for your overall vibe. I can imagine if I have a resident gig now and it's like a weekly residency and every week I get over there and play and I'm playing for 10 people, I don't know how long that's going to be something I could do without actually starting to um, hate that job. And I don't ever want to associate those type of feelings with something that I love as much as DJing. Uh, so it's hard, man. It's pretty hard. Uh, I don't know if you're actually from Dubai. So if you already live there, then it's different. If you fly all the way out there and you're playing in front of an empty club, yeah, I don't know how I feel about that either because if you have to do a lot of traveling and it takes up a lot of time, I don't know. But this is going to be different for everyone. I mean, if you are financially in a situation that this really helps you out, so you're getting paid pretty well, 
uh, then it still might be something you want to uh, hang on to. And for people who are not familiar with that club, it might still look good on your resume that you have a residency uh, there. And that might help you to uh, lock in some other bookings. But to get back to the original question, how can I as a DJ make them stay? You basically can't. Now, I have to say that's just my opinion. That's how I feel from the experience that I've had with these situations. So if you're watching this right now and you play at clubs where it's basically empty and anytime new people come in, you are able to keep them in, let us know in the comment section below how you do that. I would be very interested to hear uh, because those suggestions could help other DJs out as well. Now, what I do wanna add is since this is a residency, maybe this is something you can help to actually build out. So maybe this is something you can help to make more popular. So I would definitely talk to the promoter or owner and see if you can come up with ways to just get more people over there. I'm not familiar with that situation. Maybe you are, are they currently doing enough promo for their venue and for the night when you play there? Is this in a spot where there are a lot of other clubs? Is there a lot of competition? Or is everything in that area always kind of quiet? Uh, does the club already have a bad rep? So do people just don't like to go there? All of those things matter. But if you're there, and I don't know if this is like a weekly or monthly residency, but if this is your spot, I would wanna have people in my spot and I would do everything I can to help promote it. Um, but then again, yeah, you have to decide if that's worth it for you, but it could definitely be something to look into. Are they doing enough promo? Maybe you can convince them to do more. Um, maybe they can give you like a, a mega guest list and you just start inviting everyone just to get people in at first because that alone could help already. I mean, I know it's not always a tactic that's going to last a uh, long time, but even if it's only for a couple of times, uh, um, just to get a bunch of people in there for free so that people can experience how it actually is when people are in there. Uh, maybe it's already free and then it's just not working. I don't know. Uh, but it is something I would definitely look into. So this next question is an interesting question. I have experience with the situation. Uh, not exactly the same situation, but definitely with playing back to back with different DJs and the pros and cons of doing that. So this is a pretty long question, but I definitely want to cover it. Uh, I have to add, I've already talked to this person. Uh, we've corresponded over email, and I think this gig already happened now. I'm not really sure about that anymore. Um, we talked in Dutch, but he also added his uh, question in English. So I'm going to share it with you now so we can discuss it as well. So this is uh, a DJ from the Netherlands, and he's very passionate about his craft and music in general and DJing has always remained in the background due to the education and work. Now, he mainly plays drum and bass, dub and dubstep, and frequently attends raves throughout the country. Now, recently something happened, and he dreamed about that, but now it finally happened. Uh, he got his first gig at a rave that he's been attending for seven years. Now, as a DJ, that is just dope. If you've always gone to a certain party at a certain venue, uh, it holds a special place in your heart. Now, if you're a DJ and you now get invited to play at that very party, that's just a great feeling. I've been there myself. For me, it happened here in Amsterdam with a couple of the uh, clubs. 
that really already had that reputation. You have Paradiso and you have Milky Way. Now, those are two of the spots where all of the hip hop concerts were as well and some of the biggest parties were as well. So when I first started to play at those venues, as a DJ, that's just a great thing. You're standing on the stage and you're looking at that crowd and you used to be in that crowd, but now you're on stage performing there. So I can totally uh, appreciate the feeling that he must have been feeling when he got that invite. All right, let's get into that question now. I'm opening the night back to back with an acquaintance, which normally isn't a problem. This time though, I have absolutely no clue what I can expect from my back to back counterpart. The only fact I know is that he's the complete opposite of me. He doesn't really prepare his sets and he's quite the freestyler. For instance, he experiments a lot with multi-genre and multi-tempo sets. And that's amazing, don't get me wrong, the guy knows how to play and has the experience and skills to do just that. But for me, it's only my first gig. I've only been playing on professional equipment for a year and my only experience is warming up a sound system without a crowd and playing at a small cafe. In order to feel confident, I have to prepare my sets really well. Analyze, sort, order by energy level, set cue points, and so on. The guy I'm doing back to back with does none of that. I can't even predict what he could possibly play, which means I'll have to broaden my horizon and make sure I've got all ends covered, which makes me feel a bit anxious. The bottom line of my story is, how should a beginning DJ deal with the back-to-back -back performance with another DJ that clearly has more experience and might bump up the energy levels rather quickly? I know communication plays a huge part in answering this question, but we're not really close friends either. Neither do we have the opportunity to practice together due to geographical limitations. Should I expect him to tone down his performance a bit, or should I adapt and step up my game? I've been trying to answer this question for a while, but I could use a second opinion, and I'd love to have your take on this. Now, like I said, we've already talked about this, and I was able to basically um, acknowledge a lot of things that he was dealing with and, and help him to actually um, figure out what to do next. Uh, I don't know how the gig ended up. I have to check if he already responded to that, but let's just get into this. Now, back to back, and I've played back-to-back -back sets with a lot of different DJs. Uh, it has its pros and cons, but it all depends on how you click as DJs and how you communicate. So first off, if I play back-to-back, -back, I prefer to play back-to-back -back with DJs I'm familiar with. So I know their style, skill level, you name it. And we already have a level of communication that's just there. That helps a lot. Uh, I've played with DJs where I didn't have that, and in that case, the communication didn't really go that well. So for instance, I was used to basically having at least eye contact every track because the DJ I played with for a long time, we used to do back to back, and we didn't even have to talk. We could basically just look at each other and whoever had the next track ready would go put it on the turntable, the other one would grab the mic, and we would do it like that all night. And every now and then we just communicate for a sec, like, okay, where are we gonna take it? Uh, are we gonna go dance hall? Are we gonna go up? Are we gonna go down? You name it. And that worked. With the other DJ I was playing with, um, that DJ would just tell me like, I got six more tracks. Okay, <laughs> I guess. 
And that meant that he had a plan and he was just going to follow his plan. And after he was done, then it was my turn again. And when it's like that, that doesn't feel really like back to back to me or that takes away the essence of what a back to back set should be. Um, I've also played with a DJ a bunch of times back to back where he was just unpredictable. So you thought you were on the same length, wavelength, same vibe. And then right before the switch, he would throw on a track that would totally throw me off. Totally different vibe than all the songs before that. And I was getting in that vibe. And then all of a sudden, the last song takes it all the way left. And now it's my turn. And then you have to adapt quickly. Either go in the direction of that new track or bring it back to where you already were. Um, now, I manage. I'll make it work. But it's not as much fun when you're basically half of the time doing either damage control or just waiting for your turn. So back to back to me means you're playing with a DJ that you, you have a connection with that DJ. There's a click and you have a good communication going on. If that's the case, then you can have a great time and play together. Now, in this case, that's definitely not happening. You have a beginner DJ. You have a more experienced DJ. The beginner DJ prepares everything because that's how he feels more comfortable and he's playing with a freestyle DJ who really, really freestyles. To me, that booking personally doesn't really make sense and the first thing I suggested to that DJ is connect with the promoter and see if there's another way this could be handled. So for instance, I would suggest that they do not do an opening set playing back to back, but let the beginner DJ do the first hour and let the other DJ do the next hour. That's going to help the party as well. Because if you place two DJs together who cannot really play back to back or the music and all levels are just going to go up and down the entire time, that doesn't really help anyone. The DJs aren't going to have a good time. The crowd is not going to have as good a time because it's going to confuse the crowd as well. Everyone's going to be better off if they divide that and just give the DJs separate slots. Back-to-back -back is something you shouldn't just throw in there and just put people together. Um, now, if that's not the case and you have to play back-to-back, -back, another question was, should he try to play at the energy level of the other DJ or expect that other DJ to tone it down for him? Now, I already told him. The other DJ is not going to tone it down for you, especially if that's the more experienced DJ. Um who plays freestyle, most likely he's not going to tone it down and adapt to a beginner's DJ style of playing, especially if you play in a totally different way. So that's not going to happen. And I also suggested that he does not try to play like the freestyle DJ if that's not what you're used to. Try to play the way you play, especially if this is your first gig in a venue like that. Go with what you know and how you feel most comfortable. Otherwise, it's going to be a very, very tricky situation. Uh, like you said, you feel more comfortable having everything prepared, analyzed, sorted, uh, ordered by energy, cue points set, you name it. Um, focus on your own preparation. Have your tracks all the way prepared so you're good to go with whatever you do. Now, one major advantage for you is... You've been going to this party, this rave for seven years straight, meaning you know what goes on at that party. And that is the only thing I don't think I mentioned in my response to him. Even if the other DJ is that freestyle type of DJ, 
you know how they play at that party. So you should be able to come prepared for that party. And even if you're back-to-back -back, uh, DJ, your partner for this gig uh, is a freestyle DJ that just likes to do multi-genre, you name it. He still has to stick to the genres that are associated with that event. So in that case, even if he goes a little bit left to right, it's still going to be within the boundaries of the music that you like to play. So don't try to go too far his way. Stick to what you know. Play what is supposed to be played at that party. Um, but hopefully, uh, I don't remember if you said that, but hopefully you're going to be able to fix it that you just don't do a back-to-back -back set. And look, doing a freestyle back-to-back -back set with someone, that can work okay if you're dealing with two more experienced DJs because then you can both basically handle being um, thrown a track that you weren't expecting and taking it from there. But if you're still a little bit more new into this, you haven't played in front of people that many times, I don't think it's a great place to start, especially if it's at an event where you want to just have a... a, a have a good set, especially if you're gonna play at this party where you've been going for all this time. Um, don't let people all of a sudden take you out of your comfort zone. Now look, I'm not saying that you should always stay in your comfort zone, getting out of that zone, thinking outside the box can really help you to evolve, but you're right now, you are a beginner, so you should just be learning how to play, play in front of people. Um, if we throw you out there now, to adapt to that DJ style, uh, that's taking a little bit too far for now. But I hope that they can just switch it up and you get to play like an hour and then the other DJ plays an hour. I think both of you will have a better time if you get to play that way. Um, but yeah, that's my take on the back-to-back -back situation. Um, I've had a lot of fun with DJs playing that way. I've had less fun with other DJs and with certain DJs, I just knew like, okay, never again because this doesn't work. I mean, the people at the party didn't suffer that much because we were both pros. So at the end of the day, we played good stuff, but that was not fun. Like with certain DJs, you just feel like, okay, this doesn't make sense. I'm better off playing my own set. And then with other DJs, you end that set and you're like, that was dope. We need to do this again soon. All right, so I want to talk about adjusting to different DJ gear. There's so much DJ gear out there and everything feels a little bit differently. I have a question here about that topic. So let me just start out with the question. Now, the question starts with a little bit of history. I went full circle. 1998, I sold my first 1200 Mark II, which I bought in 1990. 2016, I got myself an NS7 III and found your excellent tutorials. Salute to you. 2017, I got myself one used 1200 Mark V to sample old vinyl. And recently, I got myself a Reloop 7000 Mark II and have the turntables hooked up via DBS through the NS7 or analog through my 1990 Vestax PMC 05 trick mixer. Yeah, baby, the classic. So here's the question. How do you deal with the different slip resistance? Vinyl, control vinyl, and the controller. On the controller, you have instantly 100% of the speed when you drop the record. Although the slip resistance of the NS7 will change over the course of a day, I guess due to sunlight and temperature changes, I also have control vinyl that is shaped like a bowl. <laughs> oh yeah, I've been there. 
One side is literally sucked on the slip mat and you can do a half turn backspin. On the other side is super loose like on a sheet of ice. You can do a 10 turn backspin with the same amount of force. How do you deal with that? Change the slip mat to suit the record. Practice, practice, practice so that you can deal with all different situations. Bend the record back into shape. Do you have any suggestions how to practice the drop with a loose record, a super loose record? Especially when you have to be really quick backspinning, stopping and dropping the record and giving it a nudge so that it starts with full speed. Yes, I'm familiar with all of that. And uh, first off, when you're dealing with that vinyl, you have to bend it, either bend it a lot or you have to place it under like a large stack of books, a heavy stack, leave it there for like uh, a couple of days. There's ways to deal with that depending on how thick the actual vinyl is. If you have like the thickest, I think the 180 or grams or more, that's going to be a little bit hard to bend and you might break it. But like with the normal, for instance, control vinyl, you can actually bend it. And back in the days when I was like buying the vinyl, I had to bend a lot of the records because I was buying doubles. I wanted to do my turntablism tricks. And uh, there are all sorts of things you're dealing with when it comes to the vinyl. You have to make sure that the hole in the middle is not too big. So a bunch of times I had to put stickers in there to make sure that there was not too much uh, uh, space there. Then again, it shouldn't be too tight either. Um, then you have to make sure that the record was straight. Uh, then your slip mats. There's all sorts of things that you have to uh, take into consideration when you're playing with vinyl. That being said, there is a difference when it comes to your vinyl and your NS7 controller, but let me just stick with vinyl. Even if you only play vinyl, but you play on different turntables, you're going to deal with different feelings every time. I have played on and owned the Technics SL1200 turntables, the Mark II. I've owned the Vestax PDX 2000 and 3000. I've owned the Numark TTX. I have a QFO. I've played on uh, uh, some reloop turntables, but older ones, they weren't that good. Not as good as those 7,000 Mark IIs and the 8,000 because those are great turntables. I've played with uh, uh, the VL12s I have here right now. Um, then you have the Pioneer turntables, the PLX 1000s. All of those turntables feel different. So sometimes it's just the fact that they have a different motor, the torque is gonna to be a little bit different, but whatever the case may be, they all feel different. And I always compare this to driving a car. If you have a car and you're familiar with that car, you know exactly how it brakes, how it steers, you name it, um, how to shift gears if you're not using an automatic. But as soon as you step into another car, things change. The brake distance is different, the steering feels different, I drive in a lot of different cars here. Um, you have a lot of these cars that you can like rent for rent per minute. You can just pick them up on the side of the street, those electric cars. Uh, um, then we had our own car that we don't have right now. And then sometimes I was renting a car. So it would happen that within a span of three days, I was driving in five different cars and some were shift, some were automatic. You have to adjust constantly. And every time it took me couple of minutes, sometimes a couple seconds, uh, sometimes a little bit longer to adjust to all of those different settings and feelings. And the same thing applies to turntables. If you've always played on your SL1200s and now you get uh, two PDX 3000 turntables, 
that takes you a minute to adjust because it feels different and not just the torque but everything so in your case as well if you go from your ns7 to your uh, turntables even though they're both motorized and they have like the 7 inch and the 12 inch they will feel a little bit different so it takes a lot of practice to get used to your devices and once you get used to them even if you switch it'll only take you a second so the more familiar you are with the equipment the faster you can adjust again but it, it can always take you a second so yes uh practice now changing slip mats to suit the record i don't feel like vinyl especially different vinyl needs different slip mats i could be wrong but most of the times it's more about adjusting the vinyl making sure that that's right but then again, in some cases, different slip mats might work because you could always test that. And um, uh, practice, practice, practice is always a good idea, not just for techniques, but also to get used to the equipment. I deal with a lot of different equipment here as well. Going from vinyl to like a controller, not like an NS7 with motorized platters, but just like a controller, like a DDJ1000 SRT. All of a sudden, now I'm using a jog wheel that feels different, but after a couple of minutes, it feels the same as the CDJ, it feels the same as the DDJ-1000, and I get used to it. Then I get back to real vinyl, and I have to make that switch again. But I've played on vinyl so many times on turntables that that takes me literally like a second. And with a controller, it might take me a little bit longer because there's no motorized platter. The platter is smaller than my turntable platters. Um, so yes, it's all about adjusting, practicing, getting used to adjusting and i think that's a good thing because as a dj you will end up in situations where you're using different equipment same thing with the cdjs you might be a turntable dj but it's going to be in your advantage if you can also play on those cdjs because a lot of clubs especially here have cdjs sometimes you cannot play on turntables or you might be used to your controller you're going to play at a club where you can't bring your controller or it doesn't fit and you're going to have to play on whatever they have at the club so getting used to all of that different equipment is always a good thing and um sometimes you'll have to take a couple of minutes to get adjusted so maybe your first couple of tracks when you're mixing you're gonna have to experience all right my nudge on the turntable is this hard. How does that affect this jog wheel? Okay, that's way too hard. Or maybe I have to add more force. It's gonna take you a second. But once you get more experience, it'll take you less and less time to adjust and uh, perform well anyway. So that's it for this episode of the Share the Knowledge Podcast for DJs. I want to thank you for tuning in. I'll be back soon with another episode. Uh, if you have any questions you want to ask me, for the podcast or just DJ related, you can send me an email, share the knowledge at djtlm.com, or you can check me out on social. IG is the best place, Instagram and the DMs. Uh, DJTLM is my handle everywhere, so check that out as well. Make sure you check out the YouTube channel, DJTLM TV. You can also leave comments there. That's what I always check, and I will reply as soon as possible. Uh, thanks again for tuning in. I'll be back soon. Peace.